Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. More sexism in the wine industry. Publication N Magnum criticized for sexist cartoon. More news on tariffs in China on Australian wine. And the possibility of the removal of tariffs in the UK on US drinks. Wine glut in South Africa. And as ever, our wine of the week. So before we dive into this week's headlines, uh, as we always do, we'll uh, do a little review of our week in wine. And on this last Friday night, uh, we went out for a few drinks and bites to eat in Petaluma. Uh, we, we don't really get out that often, but uh, we decided to, to go out strong since lockdowns were put back in place on Friday night, uh, starting at midnight. So that was really the last time uh, we were, we'll be able to do so in Sonoma County until January. And so what do these lockdown orders mean? So for the first time since June, bars and restaurants are not allowed to serve food or drink outdoors, instead just for takeout only. This is a preemptive move after Governor Gassam Newsom ordered that any county with hospitals operating at 15% capacity would have to shut down non-essential services. And Sonoma is not at that low level of capacity, uh, but like many other Bay Area counties, decided to impose the shutdown anyway. Uh, So these closures come as 110,000 restaurants were reported to have closed across the U.S. this year. Isn't that right, Matthew? I believe so. That's what the National uh, Restaurant Association um, said. And it's more than believable. It's an industry which has been hit very hard by COVID and by these um, lockdowns, which have been on and off throughout the year. Um, We had fun on our night out visiting some bars and uh, restaurants, all sat outside, all socially distanced. And it all seemed very normal, except for the fact that at midnight, they would not be allowed anymore. Well, and it wasn't so normal because it actually rained that night, didn't it? Uh, we haven't seen much rain here in California, but it was a solid downpour, I'd say. And there were so many people out and about. And of course, everyone had to be seated outside. So luckily, um, many of the restaurants and bars were prepared for it. And at least they got a little use out of all of their rain coverings, as they'll probably won't have to use it again since they won't be able to reopen until January. Yeah, that's the problem. A lot of these businesses have uh, prepared for winter outdoor dining and they've got it all set up and then they can only have a couple of nights usage out of it, which is um, one of the issues with this lockdown, which isn't arguably isn't 100% necessary because it's preemptive although the reasons for it make some sense. But a lot of these businesses, especially in the hospitality industry, are really going to struggle. And it would seem more sensible to encourage local dining rather than having people travel to different areas, which is perhaps more of a a cause for the spread of the virus. Because not all counties are imposing this preemptive lockdown. And I didn't quite realise how um, varied the um, impositions were because the governor's orders haven't come into full effect. I was invigilating WSET exams on Sunday at San Francisco Wine School in South San Francisco. And uh, we were both surprised that the exams were able to go ahead. Although, of course, it was completely safe with masks and social distancing respectfully maintained. And then after the exams, I was walking through South San Francisco's main street and I noticed people outside eating and drinking. And that seemed perfectly normal, and it took me a few moments to remember that this is actually unusual. 
And I questioned how a densely populated area of the Bay Area continues to have outdoor dining when a much more rural area like Sonoma doesn't. And it turns out that South San Francisco is in San Mateo County, which, unlike its neighbours, has not imposed a preemptive lockdown. And, of course, people from the adjoining counties and beyond are travelling to the county to enjoy leisure activities there. And then I was also in Napa on Monday delivering wine, and it was the same thing, people enjoying food and drink outside. And I spoke to one of my wine club members who manages a tasting room in Napa, and he reported that people were phoning from across California to see if they were open so that they could come and visit, which seems counterintuitive. And he also said that his sister, who lives in San Diego, said that some restaurants were refusing to close, allowing customers to assess whether they think dining is safe or not. It's a very emotive issue, I think, for some people, and it's a difficult one for the hospitality industry. And a lot of these rules seem to kind of contradict each other because we can drive 45 minutes to Napa and have a drink. Yes, and it is a real shame just knowing some of the businesses, some of the restaurants and bars that are working so hard to make their premises safe uh, and, you know, implementing mask wearing, even when a server approaches the table, uh, they invite the guests to, to put their masks on, uh, social distancing, etc., etc. Uh, so to have these entities work so hard and invest so much money in making sure that everything is safe and then having them all have to lock down again. It, it seems quite unfair. Uh, but as you said, you know, there is a need uh, for for these lockdowns in certain respects, but it would make more sense if it was a, a bit more fair across the board. That's right. You can The gyms are closed, but you can do outdoor gyms, but you can't do outdoor dining. Bit of a contradiction there, I think. And now on with the news. French wine magazine N Magnum has got into trouble for publishing a cartoon that has been heavily criticized for being sexist. The editor and the cartoonist have made the situation worse by defending the cartoon rather than apologizing for it. The cartoon is drawn by Regis Franck, who is an artist turned winemaker, and it depicts a blonde woman in a revealing red dress trying to sell wine to a rotund wine merchant. She says she has solutions to selling wine during the COVID crisis. If he buys a pallet, she'll take her top off, and if he buys a container, well, he can guess the rest. The cartoon, as the listener may well imagine, was described as crude, inappropriate, and degrading. Worse, the woman in the cartoon was thought to be modeled on Fleur Godard, the founder of a wine company called Wines and Poultry. In the cartoon, she is representing a company called Fine Wines and Chicken. The editor of the magazine apologized to anyone who felt hurt by the drawing, but denied that he and the magazine were macho and sexist, citing many years working with women in the industry. He also described the cartoon as an act of self-mockery on behalf of the cartoonist. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, the the cartoon didn't solicit any chuckles from my end. I didn't find it funny at all. A bit of lack of editorial control, in my opinion. If an artist draws that cartoon, just say, mm, I don't think so. We're, we're not going to publish this. But then they've made it worse by um, just kind of rowing back on the publication of the cartoon and saying, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's just a joke self-mockery. It's not being sexist at all, even though I think it very clearly is and it felt like a cartoon from about 50 or 60 years ago rather than one that would be published today. And going so far as to target uh, a woman 
uh, in the working in the wine industry, and though they didn't do it directly, uh, I don't think it takes much imagination to to tie the wine and poultry with fine wines and chicken. <laughs> The pod has been reporting on the massive tariffs imposed on Australian wine by China of between 107 and 212%. This week they were raised even higher with the addition of anti-subsidy duty of just over 6%. Although the tariffs were initially announced as temporary, they are likely to continue until at least October, as they will remain while the Chinese investigate alleged dumping of Australian wine onto the market to keep prices down. So no end in sight and continued bad news for the Australian wine industry. Meanwhile, in the UK, some potentially good news for British producers, as the government has said it will lift tariffs on US drinks in the hope that the US will respond in like measure by lifting tariffs on products such as scotch. As the listener will know, the EU and the US have been engaged in a trade war over a dispute in the aviation industry, which has seen the drinks industry hit with tariffs by the US, with the EU responding with their own. Although the UK is still negotiating some kind of post-Brexit deal with the EU, it is in a position to set its own tariffs already. However, tariffs on US steel remain, and it is not an easy, straightforward trade relationship between the UK and the US. But Brexiters are pinning a lot of hopes on trade with the US, and lifting tariffs on US drinks is seen as the first step in softening the US trade stance. Well, it will be interesting to see how all this pans out, especially as we see the change in government uh, in the US um, with the new president-elect Joe Biden. Uh, We know that uh, Trump had great relationship uh, with the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson, but I'm not sure quite of the relationship between uh, uh, Biden. Uh, I, I do know that they are very different people. Uh, but again, you know, as as you said, this uh, could be an opportunity to create more synergy in in, in trade partnerships, and and so maybe that's something that the U.S. will work towards. We'll see. Depends in large part on what kind of deal the U.K. gets with the EU, which looks. Uh, Pretty pessimistic, but it's likely that Johnston, as usual, will concede ground. But I, I wouldn't be too confident about the US just kind of ceding uh, their tariffs and the, the power that they have. They're quite aggressive in, their, in the, the way that they've been implementing these tariffs, tariffs. And although that seems to coincide with Trump, I think it's more US trade policy. And the, and the fact that for the drinks industry, it's all tied in with other big industries is problematic. So if there's an issue with steel then that uh, rebounds onto drinks. So we'll see what happens over the next few months. Interesting uh, to consider the irony in all of this as these trade wars continue to develop. And they all started with uh, subsidies to Airbus, um, to an aircraft, and now during a time when no one is flying. This week, it was reported that South Africa has a wine glut of up to 300 million liters, coincidentally the level of domestic consumption the previous year. This comes after a 2020 which has seen the shutdown of the hospitality industry, almost no tourism in a country where it's extremely important, periods of prohibition and bans of exports, all made even worse by the lack of support or sympathy from the government. It's estimated as a result that 80 wineries and 150 growers could go out of business in the next 18 months. To cope with the glut, producers may send wine for distillation or may produce far less wine next year to control supply and demand. 
Producers are also going to have to look abroad for increased imports. Although with high volumes of wine in Europe and Australian producers looking back towards Europe due to the China dispute, it's not going to be easy. Other African countries have potential, and there is also the possibility of taking advantage of the absence of Australian wine in the Chinese market. So maybe that'll be a, a new market for South African producers to focus on. Uh, but all seems pretty dire for poor South Africa, who's had a really tough year, um, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get any easier anytime soon. Yes, and it would be ironic if South Africa was able to take advantage of um, the struggles that Australian wine is seeing in the Chinese market. That, that is a market that I would tread very carefully into. They're really going to have to work hard together to figure out a strategy about where to export the wine and how to build export markets because the domestic market is clearly really, really struggling. And now for our wine of the week, which is, Katie? Vino Verde, a non-vintage wine by Broadbent. Well, that's exciting, isn't it? Non-vintage. I've been commenting on this quite recently, how non-vintage allows consistency, which I think is good for the producer and for the consumer as well. And we tasted this wine on Monday as we continued our new blind tasting group with a lineup of three wines. And the questioner was from a former MW exam, and it's prefaced with the statement that the three wines were from Europe, but not from France, Spain, Italy, or Germany, which certainly narrowed down the options. Interestingly enough, Katie, you preferred the least expensive wine. Why was that? That's true. Uh, it was the first wine in the flight. And for me, it had quite pronounced aromatics, really reminded me of Sauvignon Blanc. And But given that we couldn't go to France, uh, it made it a lot more difficult, or Italy for that matter. I was thinking perhaps it could be Frulli. You know, your our options were really limited without uh, those kind of main European uh, countries. So I was really at a loss for what the actual grape variety was. I think that's to be expected seeing as it, it is a, a blend of grape varieties. There is some Luero in there. And what else was in was in this blend? There's also Chajadora and Padana, which is also known as Arinto. Yes, so it had a bit of spritz at the start, which would really kind of should clue you into a, a vino verde. Uh, and again, you know, on the palate as well, super pronounced flavors, uh, just that nice grassy sort of gooseberry, almost reminded me of a New Zealand uh, Sauvignon Blanc. All around, after I learned how much the wine was, which I think it retails for about $10, um, I thought, what a, an amazing value. That's right. And I think I was just looking up prices. Uh, $10 is kind of the maximum. I found some sites selling it for $8. So really um, good price. And alcohol is just 9%. Even though the wine is completely dry. And you've got that really high acidity. Yes, I think that 9% alcohol, that's what really got me. It's a gluggable wine for sure. Yeah, and so refreshing as well with that high acidity. So you just want to drink more. So it's not completely insipid just with that low alcohol. Proof that wine coming from Vigno Verde is perhaps better than its reputation sometimes suggests that there's been a great increase in quality in Vigno Verde, uh, but still that really refreshing spritzy style. Well, and anything with Broadbent on it uh, tends to add value. Uh, Michael Broadbent, a uh, famous MW, an auctioneer who died this year, sadly. Um, but his son Bartholomew runs Broadbent as both a producer and an importer uh, into the U.S. And this label started in 2004. So as you said, it's a non-vintage. Uh, so just a really nice wine. And, you know, 
But of course, as I, as I said, all of the wines in the Broadbent portfolio, uh, I think, have my vote. Yeah, and they're very proud of the fact that it's non-vintage. They really advertise that. Going back to that consistency, so you always know what you're getting with this wine for less than $10. And I think consumers who are buying at that price point, that's what they look for, right? They really are searching for consistency. They don't want a lot of surprises. They just want a good wine, a good bottle that they can take home and, and enjoy with whatever they're having for dinner. So I think they nailed it with this one. Cheers to that. So as always, thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you'll join us next week on Wednesday, Wine Wednesday, for another roundup of the week's news in wine. And as ever, we invite you to please comment, uh, please rate and review us uh, wherever you find your podcasts. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Podbean. Just like to hear from you and and that will help others uh, find our podcast as well. Cheerio. Cheerio.